So if I think if you have the goals, the methods will evolve. They will be contextualized by geography, by industry, by time, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But but I think we need to figure out some consensus on where we want to get to. Hi, I'm Samir Shisodia. I'm CEO at the Rain Matter Foundation, and you're listening to the Understanding the Future podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities at the National Institute of Urban Affairs, and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future podcast. I have been working and studying in the field of sustainability and climate change for more than eight years. And I have realized that I have a lot of questions on how we can build cities in India that are more climate focused. With Understanding the Future podcast, I interact with experts, entrepreneurs and government officials to understand what it takes to bring all the different solutions to the ground, as well as how can systemic changes be developed on ground. We will further anchor all the topics being discussed with different skill sets required. This will help us understand the future of cities and future of work in Indian context. If you are tuning in for the first time, do check out our previous episodes. Also, don't forget to check out the Climate Practitioners India Network, a members-led solutions-oriented platform for climate practitioners across India. And join it through the show note. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Season 3 of Understanding the Future. I am your host, Punit Gandhi, Senior Associate with the Climate Center for Cities. And today we have with us Mr. Samir Sisodia. He is the CEO of Rain Matter Foundation. And today he will help us understand the topic of funding climate innovation. Welcome to the show, Samir. Thanks, Punit. Happy to be here. Uh, so there is a lot of, like, I'll, I'll start with just a conversation around uh, there is a lot of growth of startups in general in India now. And that is something which is fascinating to see. But how is something, just a brief uh, somewhere also on the line that are climate startups also trying to create that impact or how are we on those lines as of now in India? So startups are by definition created by entrepreneurs chasing uh, interesting opportunities. And over the last couple of years, it's become abundantly clear that uh, the climate problem is a huge one. It needs uh, solving almost at uh, every uh, node and aspect of the society. And entrepreneurs are not behind on that. So the realization that there is also many opportunities that come along with this. There's a lot of innovation to be done. There are a lot of interesting problems. There are lots of gaps to be uh, filled. has become very, very clear to a lot of people, uh, entrepreneurs, to investors, and so on and so forth. So I think entrepreneurs are Definitely in the fray to try and solve some of these. Uh, while these things are coming up and entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are also looking at such solutions, how is something, uh, because we are going to talk more about funding, how is that ecosystem developing around these? Are they more comfortable around those lines uh, or it is still a skeptical place to be with? So what's happened is it's become very clear that there's going to be a lot of action on it from the mandates and the government uh, end of things. Uh, that the consumer pressure is starting to build up as well, for instance. Right? That uh, there's already 
commitments, for instance, that India has made to to the world on its targets. And those need to be translated eventually. So there will be a lot of innovation, a lot of play in tech, a lot of play in delivery systems and how supply chains get reorganized and so on and so forth. From the point of view of the investors, from the point of view of entrepreneurs, there is definitely a play in it. I don't think they are tentative about it anymore. Uh, what's less clear at this point are the models that will work. Because uh, today, the thinking around how to solve these problems is basically a carryover from the earlier worlds of entrepreneurship, from the earlier avatars of entrepreneurship, uh, where you had more or less a stable ecosystem and you were pushing at the edges of one or two boundaries. Right? You You had a set of regulations, a set of consumer needs, and so on and so forth, and you were trying to play within a food chain. Here, entire food chains, entire systems are getting disrupted. So how how best we can address it? I don't think it's even acknowledged that it's, an, it's, a, it's a problem that's not very well understood at this point of time. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, being sure that it's a problem and participating in it, I don't think there's any tentative at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree that climate change is not something that is domain specific somewhere. And that is something that uh, we also work with a lot. And it's something on those lines that where do you see climate change uh, innovations also coming up more and more? Because it's not something that we are just looking at that, okay, this is the boundary which we need to solve a problem. So how do we then build up according to those kind of systems? How do we make sure that such thought process can be inculcated across different projects. To start with, the climate problem did get defined and still does get defined in slightly limited terms of uh, temperature, emissions, and uh, linked transport and energy problems. This is by and large the large framing across the world. And it uh, works well for preserving status quo, if you will, because uh, you can you can tinker with the energy uh, source. You can tinker with uh, uh, how logistics is done, get 10, 15, 20% win in a particular subsystem yeah. and uh, defer the problem as it were. Increasingly so in the last couple of years, there is, there is an acknowledgement building up and there's a question building up around this, uh, more importantly, that we cannot just look at it in this limited sense. We have to look at ecological degradation. We have to look at the water problem. We have to look at the associated uh, food systems, the risks that come as part of these changes and solve for all of it. So in that sense, it touches everything. Right? Like if I, if I were to go to a very uh, simple but very deep change that might occur is how supply chains are structured today. COVID showed us and of the successive disasters across the world have shown us that, that uh, we cannot necessarily rely on very, very long supply chains that we build. It makes us fragile and we have to start thinking of how to work around this from an adaptation perspective. But as you go deeper, you also realize there are mitigation problems. So it's a, it's a very deep fundamental change around which a lot of uh, different models will come up, both social as well as entrepreneurial. So I think I think uh, it does affect everything that we know on the planet. No, absolutely. I, I I do agree that we do need to somewhere change fundamentally how things are progressing right now. Because while we might look at uh, the, the whole kind of narrative generally goes a lot on mitigation, but India always tries to pick up the adaptation part as well because we are one of the uh, very badly affected country as well in general. 
And when we are looking at those lines, uh, there are a lot of institutions then that would be required to come in together to be able to do something uh, going forward as well. So how do you see those kind of uh, institutions coming together and how can that interconnectedness be leveraged? Because that is something as one of the key things on the climate change issue that interconnectedness will actually help us in developing better solutions. This is bang in the center of what we're trying to do. The hope, you said, comes through very, very rapidly. We hope this recognition becomes uh, mainstream and there's consensus around it. But I'm afraid to say that at this point, this is not necessarily true. We are looking at different silos in energy, in transport, in uh, carbon sequestration. So, uh, for instance, large parts of the West today would like to continue living their lives as it is and uh, sequester carbon some other part of the world to offset it, right? And for 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 this purpose, the limited narrative of uh, temperature carbon emissions, carbon dioxide emissions in specific, and uh, uh, the energy sector and transport sector changes, it works brilliantly. India has a unique advantage in some sense. Our per capita spends on energy, and I'm, I'm talking in terms of energy spends, not, not monetary, not dollar spends, yeah. are still not super high. We haven't completely gotten used to a lot of the uh, so-called luxuries that the Western world has gotten used to. Yeah, Can we reimagine an alternative ground up rather than chase the same goals and just reimagine different pathways to the same goals? Yeah. Right? That's a huge opportunity. And in, in some sense, it will be forced upon us. When, when, when what happened with the Kerala floods happens again, when what happens with uh, you know, wildfires in different parts of the world or climate-induced uh, disease or political churning and so on and so forth, yeah. uh, we will be actually forced to reconsider different goals. Yeah. So can we pause and reimagine them now and proactively work towards something that Automatically opens up new pathways rather than chase the same goals. Yeah, and I think I think there are enough who are at least raising this question now. Yeah, maybe the imagination and the and the possibility of it is not mainstream yet, uh, but as that happens, these intersections will appear almost magically yeah. because there's no way you can not link a transport system and an energy system to a food system and a water system, yeah. and the intersections are. Inevitable, they are they are logically you know they will they will present themselves in your face in unavoidable ways. Whether whether we do it proactively or reactively is the question. Uh, and I'm hopeful that given all the conversations we have and uh, given all the uh, questions we hear from various quarters, that this is building up. This will add up to a tipping point very very soon, and that that actually will automatically need. Uh, a variety of institutions, uh, in a variety of sectors, the social sector, governments, entrepreneurs, etc., to acknowledge and take cognizance of each other and try to try and forge alliances. No, absolutely, I, I do agree that that cognizance will be required, and somewhere, uh, when at least I look at it from my perspective, I, I see that okay, there is one part of it which is government, which is. Now trying to push across different different policies to make sure that there is some movement happening on this. Uh, but 
a lot of times things also come up on the lines of investments on those lines that who's going to invest these kind of money in these policies or not just policies but maybe certain kind of solutions and those can be some cases it might require a subsidized solution or some cases it might just be a market entry force in some format or the other so how how does an organization like yours think about it on those investment point of view that what is key to developing such kind of solutions for long term growth like i said earlier we taking a we bringing the systems lens to this we are looking at the interconnectedness of problems and by virtue of this we are trying to get to some sort of a root cause in as many instances as possible yeah. uh, we do see instances of this in lots of discussions across across the globe actually nature based solutions are part of the discussions uh at various levels we i was in a in a call with the folks at world water weeks yesterday and nature based solutions intersecting with water intersecting with social and economic outcomes uh, is a very big part of the discussion there's a whole track on it uh, so as this happens as as governments start to link livelihoods and uh, economic output with nature based solutions for instance yeah uh, we are we are already talking about let's say atmanirbhata we're talking about vocal for local uh, we're talking about uh, a lot of capacity building and livelihoods uh, creation yeah. uh, if we if we if we throw in your local ecology into the mix yeah. because that's what you can build all this around yeah. and then that magically checks all the boxes What's missing today for uh, this is a little bit of uh, evidence creation, because uh, policy pushes do need evidence. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are plenty of examples, but there are no large mainstream examples, for instance. Right. So uh, some evidence creation, some large mainstream examples of uh, this appearing um, can actually change the conversation very, very rapidly. I think. I think the pieces the Is understanding of each component, etc. Is already there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's somewhere true, and somewhere it's all about uh, small, small things trying to pop up everywhere uh, in each of the solution bucket. Uh, but interlinking is still something that might take its own course of time and systems to be developed as well. Uh, I feel. And uh, so, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I think sometimes the interconnections and. you know the way to look at complex problems and complex systems hmm. is to set the right goals because very often we get caught up in the methods and the solutions okay and uh, it becomes uh, it becomes a a battle between method x and method y hmm. or or a, this set of solutions and that set of solutions or, or different approaches but as long as we take cognizance of the goals like for instance we are coming from a world where uh, gdp and growth numbers If you if you reduce everything in the economy to these two numbers and maybe your per capita income levels, these three numbers, that represents the entire gamut of your economic focus. Yeah. It, it was the goal whether you were the government or whether you were a private corporation or an individual citizen. You were fixated on these goals, yeah. right? Uh, you did not see the uh, massive downsides that come with it, the massive costs that were being paid for it. What is the alternative set of goals we can imagine? So if I think if we have the goals. the methods will evolve they will be contextualized 
by geography, by industry, by time, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But but I think we need to figure out some consensus on where we want to get to. Uh, no, absolutely. That would make it a, a very interesting approach as well, which a lot of people would like it as well. But somewhere, I think getting a world consensus consensus over it might also be a bit difficult. Uh, don't you think on over those lines? So where we usually disagree are the nuts and bolts. Yeah. If I if I were to present a motherhood and apple pie proposition to you, yeah. Uh, saying uh, on farming, we want two things. We want, let's say, better soil health. And we want a, a logical basket of needs to be met locally. For instance, uh, pickle. That's my favorite go-to example because that's something that every grandmother in India knew how to make. Yeah. And uh, that's something that every village is buying from a city today. right? And the loss of economic value but also of ecological value, of capacity, of, of livelihoods, of local knowledge systems that, uh, let's say, 60 rupee bottle of pickle represents when over 50 of it actually accrues to a city and under 10 of it are actually left inside your cluster. Yeah. It's massive. So there is a, there's a, there's a logically derived basket of needs that should be met within a particular radius, within a particular cluster. Yeah. Right. How do we arrive at that? So, at, at a at a top level, you and I would very easily, quickly agree on that goal. In its fine-tuning and its nuts and bolts is where we can start to now differ, have nuance, have context. It might look different in the Himalayas versus dry land area versus the western parts and so on and so forth. And that's okay. It will also get revised over time. But 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 in our in our top level goals, uh, we can find consensus very easily is what I think. Uh, I I do agree that somewhere on the top, it's everyone wants the same. Everyone wants a uh, comfortable lifestyle and uh, things on those lines, but also somewhere more hopefully connected to uh, where you are living. And but when we uh, okay, let's let's come to the urban sector because that is again one of the sectors where uh, there is huge amount of pollution. There is huge amount of emissions as well. If you have to look at it from traditional terms. And but this is the place where a majority of your local economy is getting pushed as well to grow in a better way. When you compare an example uh, like local food system, how can that be managed well? Because that is something which gets inherently more difficult to do at a cost point that we would like to imagine. So when we are talking about uh, absolutely uh, energy, food, water nexus is something which is very important. Uh, going forward and especially to develop it on a more decentralized level as well. But when we are looking in reality about uh, something on urban ecosystem, specifically because uh, we work around those lines, how do we envision things on those lines? It can help us curate that kind of localized ecosystem for them as well. So there are two interesting ways of looking at the urban problem. In fact, we when we started off, we didn't look at the urban problem at all. He said India has six and a half lakh villages. Um, most of those clusters out there, whether you want to pick a cluster of a few gram panchayats, or if you want to go by district boundaries, or you know, you pick your you pick your favorite uh, clustering mechanism, actually have a huge, you know, today they have a huge trade deficit. They are they are selling at uh, or below wholesale prices, and they are buying at MRP, and most of the IP and the knowledge for even a pickle bottle now resides far away in an urban center. And the number of these urban centers, which actually 
attract uh, is the is the politically right way to put it but it's we basically uh, vacuum out uh, resources skills uh, knowledge systems ip and eventually all value all all value gets accrued to these centers again from a very very large hinterland has been shrinking so uh, it's why a 20 year old growing up let's say in a city like uh, raipur also looks at mumbai the ncr bangalore pune hyderabad chennai maybe six or seven of these large centers as their only real option which is desirable to them within this country right these are considered economic engines and practically nothing else is viable economic engines now that's an absurd situation to create for a country you you have what 10 or 12000 square kilometers in a very very large country which are considered viable by most citizens who are 20 years old today that's not where you want to be right so one is this urban rural divide it's we have to define it in terms of capacities in terms of job creation in terms of resource management and so on and so forth why isn't a 5 gram panchayat cluster a, jo- a net job creator so so this 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 does add that aspect to look at it the other aspect to uh, the other way to look at uh, urban centers is slightly touched upon that aspect when i said the urban clusters are essentially sucking out resources people skills energy water and and converting it to value for the urban cluster for folks in the urban cluster what we are exporting today is uh, toxic air toxic water and toxic aspirations so uh, of course i'm being harsh there's a lot of magic that happens in cities especially cities like bangalore it's a, it's a great place for lots of people to come and collaborate but this is this is one characterization that does work to understand what responsibility we need to take there are two large parts of it one is how do we actually do less toxic stuff at this end of the spectrum and the other is how do we become a lot more and responsible enough consumption of all the little things that i talked about can i can we reduce the miles on our food can we leave a little bit of value for other clusters on the table right can we can we design it such that, that we do not externalize the costs of our energy that dramatically and as we as we explore these questions the answer will get to a point where we are not just 12000 kilometers of this viable you know these these viable islands in the country but we have maybe 10000 of these options 50 years from now or 70 years from now for somebody who's 20 years old and stepping into life right so the urban problem is a transition problem and we are at a place which is not very healthy or desirable at this point of time so rather than think think of it from the point of view of of the point of view of urgency i think the view we have taken and uh, are working with is the point of uh, view that this defines the construct of a city and how does that construct need to change such that it's healthy and can be applied elsewhere and so that we can we actually want to see many more of those you don't want to see too many more ncrs all over the country do you or or too many sick boards today no that uh, right? yeah it has its own set of challenges exactly so what is it that we want to create in bangalore or as bangalore that we would actually like to see pop up all over the place and how can that come to be? so that that's how we look at this problem okay uh, and you did mention somewhere uh, on the line that 
uh, when we're talking about uh, things like nature-based solutions and how it can bring livelihoods to it as well. There are, but a lot of projects when such kind of thought process is being developed, where yeah, you know, that it's not really financially viable to do it, but it makes sense when the matrix has changed. Uh, and on those lines, there is no direct return on investment. So when you're funding that kind of solution, how do you define that? Okay, we can fund this or we cannot fund this, uh, because. A lot of time, climate solutions are just not financially visible if we are just looking at it from ROI perspective. At an individual entity scale, at this point of time, they are not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a lot of the pilots are also very heavily uh, supported in all their dimensions. The ecosystem doesn't exist, so you have to practically do ecosystem building around it or, or artificially support various bits of the ecosystem if you want bamboo to work, you have to find premium buyers and you have to uh, have uh, you know people almost do charity buying for handlooms today and so on and so forth. It's not it's, there's no there's no large viable markets for it. The price points don't work. But they also don't work because the externalized costs for the alternatives aren't being paid fairly. Right? The the cost of polluted water, toxic air, uh, three hundred and fifty thousand novel entities released into the biosphere are not being paid. And the cost of uh, the direct countable cost uh, of, uh, you know, in, in terms of healthcare across the globe, in terms of poorer outcomes on a 50-year time scale are not being counted today. Right? So collectively for all of us, it clearly doesn't work financially. Right? Except in the narrowest sense of the world. So at this point of time, uh, we are taking a long view on, on investments as well. We are, uh, we believe that thanks to the world starting to recognize these problems, thanks to the world making commitments to it, there's going to be a lot of regulatory and compliance changes, which will not continue to allow it to be cheap, to pollute, to, but to be irresponsible in, in very, very direct terms. Consumer preferences are also changing in small ways and big. And uh, as these add up, uh, the, the economics of it will start to look very different. And in some cases, we are sure they will start to look different in two to three years' time, not even like a 20 year time frame. FMCG today better be thinking about what their supply chains look like, uh, what their packaging look, looks like, what their buying practices look like. Because it's not very far away when they will be forced to continue this. No, absolutely. That's that's true. And so when uh, let's come to the next part of it, where then what does investors look for when they are trying to invest in this ecosystem? What are the different key points as any investor would look for? That okay, if you're trying to invest in this ecosystem, uh, maybe short term, mid term, or long term. What are the different things that they are looking for? So there are there is the there is the huge opportunity of, let's say, hundreds of billions of dollars being pumped into this over the next few years, right, right, uh, right from the offsets to uh, technologies to capture carbon, technologies to uh, solutions to replace plastics. We've seen a bunch of proposals on how to deal with stubble burning through various mechanisms. Sometimes combining it with 
packaging benefits and so on and so forth. Um, so there are definitely opportunities in these transitions, right? It's a very, very rapidly moving landscape. It's very poorly understood at this point of time. What's also missing is uh, any kind of a systems lens applied for it right now. The water energy, uh, food systems, uh, nexus, how it has impact on healthcare and all that is very, very poorly understood. So uh, not enough investment is going at things that intersect. What we are trying to do is trying to take a slightly long-term view of this. While we are we are picking areas in these, we are also trying to see if it checks off to other boxes. Can it also, if you, if, you, if you have a solution which also checks the livelihoods box, it's likelier to sustain. Uh, we are also trying to see if it scales wider, not as the organization itself necessarily, but as the idea behind it. Right? Which means you need people who have a thought process that aligns with ecosystem thinking. And one of the most successful companies in the world, for instance, is AWS. Amazon's AWS is its real growth engine in some sense. And uh, that has demonstrated massive ecosystem. It has actually helped create the largest number of ideas and solutions out there, more than any other single entity has. So can can entrepreneurs adopt those approaches that actually help make a large dent in the problem than be a large player in a small bit? Right? So that's how we are looking at uh, our investments as well. And in many cases, they actually need uh, the other parts of the ecosystem to appear, whether it's a policy change, whether it's social institutions, whether it's large-scale messaging, and so on and so forth. So we also, of course, we've, we've taken the view of, uh, we've, we're taking an approach of solving the climate problems through these investments, right? Not using investments. We're not, we're not looking at investments into climate as an opportunity. Uh, whether you look at the problem first, and then the, whether it's a crisis first and an opportunity later or an opportunity first and it happens to be a crisis. So it's interesting. So because of which we are, we are making grants, uh, we are helping folks who help with debt and we are doing investments. So I think, I think you need, uh, what, uh, it's popularly now known as the Samaj, Sarkar and Bazaar Trinity to come together on this. And so, so we are trying to, trying to address all parts of it. Okay, yeah, that, uh, that's quite interesting. And uh, I, I, I do understand that somewhere that, yes, that would require a policy push, or, and uh, which is a very difficult in itself. It, it's a thought part because, as you had mentioned earlier as well, that sometimes you need those enabling examples to be able to translate it to a policy. And how do you, and somewhere, uh, I absolutely feel that sometimes it acts as a chicken and egg situation because. Mm-hmm. You want new stuff. You want policy for that as well. But neither of them have come up. And that is why none of them are moving or trying to move the ecosystem forward. So how in that case can we bring in that kind of behavior or systemic change that we are looking for? So when you say new stuff, there are two kinds of new stuff. There's approaches. And we have a plethora of examples over the last decade and maybe a couple of decades. Uh, which need to be mainstream. Once they start to go to the mainstream, opportunities for entrepreneurs and specific tools, specific methods, specific pieces of technology that emerges as part of that directional change. Uh, for the first one, you need a lot more evidence building sometimes because we intuitively understand things. If I, if I were to say that 
half of Karnataka goes, let's say, organic and you know, starts going natural food. Uh, and that will actually lead to lower healthcare costs for the government in 15 years' time, massively. Uh, you would tend to believe it. But it's interesting that we don't actually have compiled evidence for it. So once that process happens and the government starts to adopt it or starts to push for it, uh, today, today there is a push because people believe it and subscribe to it ideologically. But it's still small. It's still a hundred crore allocation. It's not like a massive belief and push in the system. So once that happens, then the number of opportunities that open up for entrepreneurs grows multiple because because now the ecosystem starts to exist around. So we are trying to do the second part where you sometimes need to do evidence building. In some cases, you have evidence. You need to take it to folks who. Uh, discuss and influence policy and you know have a conversation there so we're trying to address those parts of the puzzle as well Perfect. yeah that's uh, that's quite interesting and uh, when we are trying to do that as well like how do you see like because this is something we have talked about investments we have talked about climate changes how, how can that be more interconnected and then we are also talking about uh, systemic changes over here so what do you think are then the different skill sets that are required to take these things forward because it's not a simple one-stop thing that okay this is we take this cookie cutter approach and you can do it so how can these things be uh, inculcated in a better way there are a couple of uh, aspects to this i think the biggest missing piece and this is across sectors this is across this is over time is that we have completely abandoned any idea of bringing the systems lens to problem solving, whether it's in governance, whether it's in economics or individual corporations, in politics, in public problem solving. We are poor at bringing the systems lens to it because that's not something that we include as part of education or practice. We don't require it. We don't train for it at all. We don't have, uh, so it happens when somebody intuitively or instinctively does it or happens to arrive at it accidentally. So that's one huge missing piece. I think that we need to formally account for. The other is I think we need more people who have uh, wider skills than deeper skills. We're emerging out of the era of hyper specialization uh, and that's had a huge cost. In many senses, because it's uh, boxed and boxed us into silos. Uh, we're seeing seeing that in uh, entrepreneurship. We're seeing that in governance. Only method today is to hire specialists, even in government. Right? It 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 almost makes you look for silver bullets. You know, so you have thousands of people out there running around with hammers looking for nails, not trying to understand the problem. Not trying to you know, understand that their solution is a, it's a part of the problem, solves a part of the problem, and that again in context, right? It may it may work well for the gangetic pain, but not work for the Sundarbans. So I think I think you need people with slightly uh, wider skill sets. You need tools, methods, the instinct and ability to learn continuously in small packets because it's rapidly changing. What we knew three years ago is obsolete. Climate scientists didn't know we would be here a decade ago. Right? 
Um, the financial world, for instance, the way it looks at risks, the way it looks at models, uh, the whole idea of um, funding ecosystem services through offsets and other means, accounting, accounting for them through a small percentage of your economic system is just absurd and mathematically impossible because your entire economic system is a tiny annuity component of the ecology. Right. So it, it just doesn't complete. Right. So, so you need you need a lot of thinking through and remodeling around this. So uh, you know, accounting for uh, like like somebody said, uh, in every meeting, give the forest a chair in the room. Uh, so every every room, whether you are whether you are in a boardroom or an economist or the government or a panchayat member or a software engineer, how do you how do you create that chair and how do you account for it? Is a question we need to start asking. That's, that's absolutely a very well thought question uh, of its own, and I think if something like that comes up, uh, conversations will change uh, drastically. Uh, but thank you so much. This was quite insightful. But uh, I would just like before we close, if we have missed out something that we feel should be accounted for or thought of while uh, there is funding of climate innovation, uh, please feel free to. And we have missed out in our conversation. Please feel free to point it out and uh, let us know. I think uh, one thing, like I said in the beginning, is uh, we need to drive some level of consensus around it. And uh, all the folks holding the purse strings, uh, money is a forcing function in today's world, although uh, climate is starting to outdo it a little bit. Uh, but everybody investing into this one way or the other, whether you're the government, whether you are a VC, whether you're a philanthropic organization or an individual interested in this, I think we need to create a map for all of us. We need to start Asking ourselves, what does this map look like? And is this a fair representation of it? Is it, is it, uh, systems complete? Is this, is this a true picture of it? Um, and I, and I think we, we have maybe a year to arrive at this because we need to move really fast. We have maybe seven or eight years to start turning the directions around, to start to have created some common goals. Uh, some some set of tools, some set of metrics and measurements around it, which look different from where we are today. Because if you don't start making this change in the next seven eight years, as as some scientists claim that we are already at, we will definitely be too late. Yeah, I, I sorry, so, sorry if I ended this on a very depressing note, but I, I <laughs> no, I'm, I'm optimistic the, uh, that the consensus the will things are being pushed. I do feel somewhere that people are trying to now uh, scramble their thoughts in a better way as well. To be able to reach that kind of conclusion. Thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely uh, good to talk to you and get your perspective on all these different things. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pune. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and follow us on all social media channels. 
For more details about the Climate Center for Cities and registration on Climate Practitioners India Network, click on the link in the show notes. The episode is conceptualized and produced by Punit Gandhi. A big thank you to the whole team at C-Cube and NIUA for supporting the development of the podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.